You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. This series from this wonderful, wonderful book of Exodus. Children of Israel down in the land of Egypt, God sort of cleaning up their act, took about 400 years to get them at least halfway fit to go back where they belonged, the geographical land bridge of the world at that time, to stand at the crossroads and to be evangelist, actually, to say there are not many gods, there are just one God, and the way to Him is by faith. That's not what the people in the land of Canaan believed at that time, but uh, all the major cultures of the world at that time and their trade passed right through that little country, either the Via Maris, the way of the sea, or the Via, the, the, the King's Highway. And uh, so they were on their way back. They didn't know it, but they were on their way back. They were very comfortable in Egypt. And so in chapter 1, we see how God stirred up their nest, made it miserable for them in Egypt. And as we looked at chapter 1, we saw the necessity of affliction. If you want to grow as a believer in Christ, you cannot dodge the necessity of affliction. Very, very important, and we saw it in chapter 1. Chapter 2 now, this morning, we looked at the hidden work of God because in chapter 2 we read several stories about Moses, his birth. Nobody had any idea that he was going to be the deliverer. I tell you this, Pharaoh would not have footed the bill if he had known he was going to have been the deliverer. And then, of course, Moses learned that it's important to wait patiently for God's timing and now we find him in the land of Midian, married to a Midianite lady by the name of Zipporah, father of a Midianite young man by the name of Gershom. Moses stays in Midian for 40 years. Now at the age of 80, I always find it rather interesting. People say, you know, I sure hope you teach those young people how to find God's plan for their life, assuming that you come to an age in life or a stage in life when discovering God's plan for you is not important. All the principles we're going to look at this evening are principles applied by Moses at the age of 80. As long as God gives you life and breath, he has a plan for your life. And so tonight we're going to look at chapter 3, and we're going to think together about this subject, how to discover or discovering God's plan for your life. Discovering God's plan for your life. I'd like for you, if you will, please, to stand with me, and let's read together the first four verses of Exodus chapter 3. I'd like for you to read aloud with me. Now, this father-in-law's name is Jethro Aruel, and so we're going to read about him and about Moses and about this remarkable experience of the burning bush as we begin in verse 1, reading together. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush 
and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Let's pray together. Father, how we pray trusting tonight that your Holy Spirit will open the truths of this chapter to our hearts. Lord, we know that there is so much here. We know that we could spend days in these few verses and never plumb the depths of them. But Father, as they relate to discovering your plan for our life, I pray that you would make it clear to us tonight that there are specific principles we must understand and follow. And I pray, Lord, that there wouldn't be a one of us who would go away tonight thinking that you didn't have a plan for our lives, for his life or her life, and that there would not be a one of us in this auditorium tonight who would go away without having surrendered to you and to your plan for his life or her life. And I pray these things in the wonderful and matchless and saving name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Keep your Bible open now. Of course, you're going to need it. We're going to take a journey through all the verses of chapter 3 as we continue this study through the book of Exodus, discovering God's plan for your life. For some reason, it seems that God uh, has enabled me on many occasions to speak to students, university students, seminary students. This past week, I was uh, down in Norman speaking to several hundred students at the University of Oklahoma. Invariably, if the conversation lasts long enough, the issue of God's will and knowing the specific plan of God for your life always surfaces. A few moments ago, Bobby was sharing with us his testimony. He said, you know, I begin to think about missions right here at First Southern. There was that missionary from Africa. I had this idea. And then there was this event when Ryan was getting on the airplane. He didn't turn back, and God began to unfold for Bobby this wonderful part of his life and his plan for that portion of his life these next two years as he is to go to Central and uh, Southern Asia to be one of our missionary journeymen, to share the gospel of the Lord with people who need it so very, very desperately. How does a person go about finding God's plan for his life? How much time should you spend doing that anyway? I know of people who've, who've almost become enamored with the search and are more interested in searching for God's will than they are in doing God's will. Every time you speak to them, you get the sense that you're speaking to a Baptist monk who's walking around in some kind of cloistered hall and spending all of his time just examining his life and asking questions about God, never doing very much, just always looking for God's will, wanting to find God's will. Well, is that the way that God wants us to respond to this whole issue of discovering his plan for our lives? Now, in a nutshell you will discover the following events and conversations taking place in this third chapter of the book of Exodus. We find Moses out there working for his father as a shepherd. That's great training for what he's going to do. Obviously, great training for leaders because we see it uh, happening so often in the Scripture. While he's there on what the Scripture said calls the backside of the desert, out in a remote region, he sees something that's very remarkable, a burning bush that is not consumed. And it gets his attention. I'll tell you from personal experience, burning things will get your attention. And so he stopped. And uh, he began to ponder this bush that was burning and was not consumed. And 
All of a sudden, he began to realize he was in the presence of God. As a matter of fact, God said, take your shoes off. He said, this is a holy place. This is holy ground. I'm going to meet with you. And then God begins to unfold for Moses the story of the children of Israel. These people he had left some 40 years earlier, having been reared in the finest tradition of Egyptian scholarship, and now on the backside of the desert in God's school with a staff in his hand, a bunch of sheep. And God begins to tell how the cry of the weariness, the groanings of the children of Israel has come up before him, and he is now going to deliver them. They're not quite ready to do everything they're supposed to do in Canaan. In fact, after they're delivered, they've got another 40 years learning how to live by faith. That man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the big lesson of the wilderness wanderings. But they're at least farther along than they were. And so God has decided he's going to bring them out of the bondage of Egypt, and he's going to use Moses. You remember that uh, Moses is astounded. He said, this is a, an incredible thing. How are they going to even believe me? And God says, I'm going to be with you. And here's what you're to say to them. And then God even goes farther. He gives Moses enough information to at least get started. He doesn't tell him everything, but he always tells him enough to act now. He says, as a matter of fact, you're going to go back and uh, you're going to tell Pharaoh to let the people go and Pharaoh's going to resist and I'm going to smite it with plagues, but you're going to bring the people out and when they come out, I'm going to give them favor with all the Egyptians. As a matter of fact, you're going to come out with more than uh, you would ever imagine. Now that is basically the outline in a verbal fashion of the third chapter of Exodus. Now, from these verses, and we're going to look at them, maybe read virtually every one of them in the next few moments, from these verses, we see seven principles that relate to God's plan for your life. Do you know what God's plan for your life is? He has plans about a lot of things for you. I imagine some of you are thinking about, well, what's God's plan for me in terms of my vocation? Others of you, what are God's plans for my retirement years? What are God's plans for my marriage? Some of you may have gotten a disappointing report from a physician. Now what are God's plans for me? What kind of treatment should I take? Should I be aggressive? Should I be passive? How much of this is spiritual? How much of this has got to be down in my, in my boots, you know? And uh, what, what, what is God's plan for me? What's God's, what's God's plan for my finances? How do you discover God's plan for your life. Now, let me just mention seven things very quickly. You'll see them on the screen here. I would encourage you to write them in your Bible. Number one, God's plan is most often discovered while you are faithfully discharging your daily responsibilities. It's in the everyday traffic pattern of your life that you are most likely to hear from God regarding his plan for your life. There are a lot of people who would like to make a project out of finding God's will for their life. They think the world ought to shut down. Now, there's nothing wrong with prayer and fasting. You know we're going to do that beginning March the 14th for 21 days. There's nothing wrong with setting aside time to hear from God in a special way, and especially when God calls you to do that. But let me say to you that there are a lot of people who have, as I said earlier, grown sort of enamored with the search. In fact, they like the search more than they like the responsibility of doing what God says. And they're always looking for God's will. They're always praying for God's will. They're always wondering what God has for them. Well, the truth of the matter is, God's plan for your life will probably be discovered 
as you are busy doing what God has given you to do already. It's like steering a car. It's much easier to steer a car that is rolling. I love the, the statement of Eliezer, who was a servant to Abraham. And Abraham said, you know, I'm going to die, and my son Isaac does not have a bride, and I don't want him to marry somebody from around here. Eliezer, he said, put your hand here and swear by God that you, will, you are not going to get him a bride from around here. You swear to me, promise to me, by all the power that is within you, that you will find him a bride from our kinsmen. And Eliezer said, I'll do it. Well, you remember the story. He made his way to the land of the kinsmen, and it wasn't very long before when, as he got there, he came to a well, and there came a beautiful lady. I've always wondered how they would know they were beautiful, you know, because of the heat. They would dress in all these clothes. But a beautiful lady came to the well, and, and Eliezer just said, you know, now if she says, you know, I'll feed your animal, and I'll give you something to drink, and I'll just let that be a sign. And then if she says, come to my father's house, that'll be a further sign. Well, everything happened just like that. And Eliezer came to a time where he just got before God. And here was his statement. He said, I thank you, God. Now listen to this. Basically, he's saying there wasn't any wasted time. Here's, listen to these words. He said, I, being in the way, the Lord led me. Isn't that great? As I am moving along, obeying God, doing today what God has given me to do today, God led me. And so the plan of God for your life is most often discovered while you are faithfully discharging your daily responsibilities. Principle number two. God's plan for your life will generally be preceded by an invitation to listen. God's plan for your life will generally be preceded by an invitation to listen. God will say, hey, wait a minute, time out. King's X, I'm trying to tell you something. Look at the red flag. Listen to the bells. Now, how did he do this with Moses? Well, we've seen in verse 1, Moses busy shepherding this flock. Look at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burned with fire. The bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Now, I want you to look carefully with me at the, ver the words of this next verse. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see... God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. What was the burning bush? The burning bush was an invitation to listen. And in your life, as you are pursuing the daily responsibilities, you're going to have burning bush experiences, probably not quite like the burning bush. But there'll be moments when you'll all say, sudden say, I wonder what God's trying to say to me through that. I'll, you know, you'll get a call and the, the news will be devastating or you'll get a letter and it will break your heart or you'll get a report and it will shake you to the roots. Maybe you get a bad performance review. You say, maybe you, you, you get in a class at the university and all of a sudden you love it and you can't believe how you can embrace this course and all of a sudden you're saying, I wonder what God is trying to say to me. Well, no, God doesn't try anything. He does. But I wonder what God is saying to me through this. 
And the reason I say it's preceded by an invitation to listen is that um, you can just stumble on through that crisis, through that event, through that moment. You can just go and say, well, you know, got the report, got fired, got this, got that. And you can just plunge on, grit your teeth and go on. Or you can stop and say, Lord, I'm listening. I'm listening. What are you saying to me through this event in my life? Because generally, the plan of God is preceded by an invitation to listen. Number three, God's plan for your life must be treated with reverential respect. We're not talking about shooting bottle rockets here. We're talking about building a kingdom for all of eternity. We're not talking about meeting with a counselor. We're talking about meeting with God. Look at the verses 5 and 6. He said, don't draw nigh here. Put off your shoes from off your feet for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. As a matter of fact, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. This is holy business, this issue of God's plan for your life. It's not just mundane. It's not just silly. It's not something that if you miss, you can recover and be just as good at something else. God does not, listen, God does not have plan B. It's plan A for you. Anything else is just something else. And so you need to treat this meeting with reverential respect. You are having a meeting with God. He's gotten your attention, you stop, now you're listening, you're having a meeting with God, all right? And so it must be treated with reverential respect. Number four, God's plan for your life is part of a larger work involving many others. Have you ever noticed that um, each of us has a tendency to assume that what you know, that we are the center of the universe <laughs> and that what's happening in our lives is more important than what's happening in anyone else's life. People were saying to us a few weeks ago, they said, this must be consuming to you, this whole issue of this house of yours and all of that. And I said, you know, I'll be honest with you, this is small potatoes concern, uh, rel- you know, when you look at it in regard to what other people are going through. You see, losing a house is nothing compared to losing a home. Losing a house is nothing compared to losing your heart to the devil. Other people go through a lot worse things than I could ever imagine. We always have this tendency to believe what's happening to us is the center of the universe. What I want you to see here is that God is not operating just with you and just for you. Now, he is dealing with you and dealing on your behalf, but it's not just about you. It involves all kinds of people. It involves eternity. It involves years. I mean, the truth of the matter is if Israel hadn't gotten their act together, hadn't become where they were supposed to be, I mean, you just go down all the consequences of not obeying God. So this is a part of a larger work. It involves a whole lot of other people. I'll not take the time to read all these verses, but look at verse 7. The Lord said, look, I've seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. Moses, I've got Egypt in mind. I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. He's come, said, I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. Verse 8, I've got Egypt in mind. 
Now behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I've seen the oppression with which they've been oppressed. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh. It's a Pharaoh deal too, that you may bring forth my people out of the children, out, out, my people Israel out of Egypt. It's a you and me deal because it has to do with our eternal destiny. That is where Israel ended up. And so don't ever get this impression that, if, listen, that if you just don't do God's will, it's, it's just small potatoes. It's no big deal. I mean, life will go on. Well, the truth of the matter is God has ways of getting his work done, but you cannot, listen, you cannot disobey him without consequence both in your life and in the lives of others. When I was growing up, I usually had a burr haircut. It usually, hair went in every direction. And they used to call me Chiselhead. And the reason my dad called me Chiselhead was because in his shop he had these wood chisels that he loved. And, uh, you know, because they'd been hit enough times with a mallet, the wood was bent over on the side, and dad said, your head looks like that. And so, you know, wanting to build up my self-esteem and wanting me to have good thoughts about myself, he called me Chiselhead most of my life. Um, so, you know, I mean, you, you get the picture. Now, one day my dad came outside, however, and he found me with one of his priceless German-made wood chisels in my hand. I was always trying to make these car coasters and cars or working on a Model T or something. And my dad found me knocking concrete off of a, a, a board with one of his fine wood chisels. He was thrilled. Oh, dad's back here. He's just laughing. It just grieved him. I mean, I, I think he loved the chisel on the, I mean, chisel more than he loved chisel head. I, I mean, this was a, this was a grievous event in our family. You know, when you take something that's designed to do one thing and you do the wrong thing with it, it destroys it. By the way, it doesn't just destroy the instrument. It can also destroy what it's working on. A chisel can damage other things. That chisel gets damaged. Hey, listen. You're of more value and more important than some stupid chisel. But you do the wrong thing with your life. It doesn't just hurt you. It hurts everybody you're involved with. Amen. And so God's plan for your life is a part of a much larger work involving many others. Number five, God's plan for your life is accompanied with the promise of enablement and companionship. I turned to Brother Ruffin tonight and I said, this sermon tonight is my prayer for your life. That as he goes to pastor this church in North Carolina, by the way, I got a new definition of Tar Heel. Someone stuck it up here, Brother Ruffin. This makes definition number 23. You'll hear all of them at the party next Sunday night. Tar Heels, athletes foot for roofers. <laughs> I like that. We'll get the right definition before long, right? But this has been my prayer for him, that as they go to this new responsibility, they will sense what? God's promise of enablement and accompaniment, companionship. Look with me at verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, I'm going to be with you. That's the big deal here. It's not who you are. It's who I am, God was saying. And this is going to be a token for you that I have sent you. When you brought forth the people out of Egypt, you'll serve God on this mountain. He said, you'll be back here. Don't you worry. And you'll remember that I wanted to use you in this way. 
And Moses said to God, Behold, when I am come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? And God says, I can handle that too. He said unto Moses, I am that I am. And we'll see more of that in this study. He said, Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me. In other words, God says, I'm going to give you what you need and I'm going to be with you. And some of you out there are scared to death to even ask God his plan for your life. But I promise you, when you operate within his plan for your life, he will enable you and he will be with you. Now, he's not going to enable you to do something that's not his plan for his life, and he's not going to be with you on that journey. Jesus said to the disciples, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He said, look, basically Jesus said this, be with me. Well, look about this fishers of men business. He said, I can handle that. I'll make you fishers of men. You be with me. So he says, I will give you my companionship. I will give you my enablement. Number five or six, rather. God's plan for your life contains all of the information necessary for you to respond now. You can get with the program. Everything you need to know to do what you need to do today, he will tell you. I've seen some very sad people who put their lives into neutral and they think they're doing something super holy because all they're doing is just sort of floating around thinking about God's will. Listen, God will tell you enough to do what you need to do now. In the verses following, God says, moreover, verse 15, thus shall you say to the children of Israel, he says, here's what you need to tell them. And then he says, here's what Pharaoh's going to do. And then he says, here's what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. Don't you worry about it. Just get busy. And God's plan for your life is like that. There is enough information out there available to you so that you can begin doing tomorrow what you need to do. A lot of people say, well, God, if you'll show me the entire roadmap and if you'll give me the whole camping, all the camping gear I need, And if you'll give me the vehicle I need, if you'll give me this that I need, and give me that that I need, well, then I'll go off on this glorious adventure, and you it'll be wonderful what I'll do for you. God says, what I want to do is this. I don't want to give you a road map. I don't want to give you the equipment. I don't want to give you the vehicle, but I'm going to give you this. I'm going to show you where you need to put your foot down tomorrow. Will you do that? You see, it's a progressive thing. If it were not, there would not be the element of faith involved in it. And so he will give you all the information necessary for you to respond now. And number seven, and finally, God's plan for your life brings with it the assurance that he is preparing the way before you. By the way, he's preparing that way. He's not going to prepare some other way. You say, well, I'm not going to do that. God, I'm going to do this. You prepare the way. No, God says, there is the way that I've prepared for you. Now, either you go do that and step out where I've prepared, or you're going to have to go fight some battles that you, you really don't want to fight. Notice what he says in verse 21. He says, I'll give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. It'll come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty. Every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and have heard that sojourns in her house, jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment. This is what they built the tabernacle of the wilderness out of, by the way, later on. You shall put them upon your sons, upon your daughters. You shall spoil the Egyptians. He said, it's unbelievable what you're going to take out with them because I'm going to prepare the way. I'm going to work on their hearts. 
I'm going to give you favor in their sight. So when you do the plan of God, when you do his will for your life, you can be assured that he has gone before you. That is that he is preparing that way for you. So you're saying, Brother Tom, I wish I could be theologically oriented. Oh, I wish I knew the Bible. I wish I knew all this business about God's plan for my life. If I could just know all this stuff, then I would do the will of God. You know everything you need to know to obey God right now. There's some things that God's just generally shown you you ought to do. He's shown you about living a righteous life. He's shown you the importance of being an evangelist, sharing the gospel with others. He said, this is my plan for you. These are things I want you to do. These are, these are people I want you to love. This is a life I want you to live. And in the midst of that, as you're doing the things you already know to do, I'll get your attention. And if you'll stop and listen, we'll have a holy moment together and you'll walk away knowing my plan for your life. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit We'll take this, your word, write it across our hearts, bring people to this altar who will say tonight, yes, to your wonderful plan. Lord, there's some people here who know what you're calling them to do. There's some people here who know you're calling them to missions. Maybe you use the testimony of Bobby Greider tonight. Maybe they have learned tonight the importance of prevailing in the workplace and seeking the kind of conditions that will enable them to be a better testimony and uh, as in Lisa's case, worship. and uh, Lord, you've shown them, well, I need to do that. Lord, I pray you'd find us submitting to your will, to your plan for our lives tonight. Father, it's so easy to become so distressed and stressed out and uh, frantic and restless and confused over this issue of your plan for our life. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that the scripture says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. And that whatever we do, and word indeed, we ought to do with this issue in mind, that we are to glorify God. And Father, I know, I believe in my heart that as we are doing your will day by day, that wonderful plan you have for our lives will unfold before us. Lord, help us to see that it's not... Big decisions generally that shape our life. It's the hundreds of little decisions along the way made correctly. And Lord, bring to this altar those who surrender. Lord, for many here tonight, it is your will, your plan for their lives that tonight they would receive Jesus as their Savior. Lord, those to whom you are speaking, I pray now you'd give boldness to come to this altar and say yes to Jesus to join this church, to receive Christ, to answer your call. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. In a few moments, we're going to stand together. Our celebration singer is going to lead us in a time of invitation. And as we sing together, dear friend, this is your invitation to come to Jesus. Now listen, if you have never received Christ by faith as your Savior, I can tell you this, the greatest decision you'll ever make the decision you have to make to fit into God's plan for your life is to trust him tonight. 
Jesus died on the cross. Why? Well, because the wages of sin is death, and neither of us, you nor I, can die for one another because we're sinners. But Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, came to this earth, died on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. God raised him from the dead. A dead Savior couldn't give you life. We have a living Savior. And he promises that if you will believe in him, if you will receive him by faith as your Savior tonight, that you can have forgiveness and cleansing of sin, abundant and eternal life. I cannot imagine anyone not wanting to have that. And so I would urge you, the moment we stand, as a part of standing, in fact, just stand and take that first step to the aisle and come find a counselor and say, look, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior tonight. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. You say, what else? No, they'll, they'll talk with you and pray with you. And less time than it would take me to share with you, you can know the wonderful, wonderful cleansing and forgiveness, abundant and eternal life you can only receive through trusting in Jesus. No other way. So I would urge you, just make up your mind right now, even as I'm speaking, all right? When I stand, I'm going to step to the aisle. I'm going to make my way forward. Now, there are going to be others coming with you. There'll be some people here tonight who hear God speaking to their heart, individuals, families, about joining this church. And I know that their coming is going to encourage you to come. Those of you who need to receive Christ, they may think, well, I'm just coming to join this church, not realizing what an important testimony that is for others. And so families will be coming and individuals will be coming to say, look, we want to plant our life in this church so you won't be alone when you come to receive Christ tonight. And others will be coming. Counselors will be coming. There'll be prayer warriors here, along with people who are just coming perhaps to kneel at this altar and say, Lord, I want to surrender to your plan for my life. I'm going to ask those of you who joined our church in recent days, if we've not introduced you to this church family, come be seated over here to your right where it says seating for new members. You're baptized tonight or one of our other services. We want to meet you personally. And so just come and be seated over there when we stand. You see, this is your invitation to say yes to Jesus. And in your heart, you're going to say one or two things, either yes or no. I would urge you, challenge you to say yes to Christ. What could you have against him? He loves you. Say yes to him tonight. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit will move in power in this place, bring many to this altar who will in fact say yes to you tonight. Dear God in heaven, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.